Uh, hi, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Check the Program, a new arts and culture podcast based here in Victoria, BC. And uh, <laughs> yeah, let's go around the table here. Uh, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm the, I used to be the arts editor at Monday Magazine for a few years and have been covering arts in the city for a long time. And to my left is... Sarah Petrescu. And uh, yeah, I've been in the city for quite a long time, since the late 90s, and was a reporter at the Times Colonist newspaper for 12 years, until about a month and a half ago. Started there um, as the classical music critic, reporter, and covered arts and culture and fashion off and on for many years. And just love the arts and go to lots of stuff and talk about lots of things. And I think, yeah, that's why we're all here. Nice. Uh, I'm John Thrallfall. I'm the uh, former editor-in-chief of Money Magazine. Before that, I was the arts editor at the paper. I was their in-house theater critic as well. Uh, I'm currently the communications officer for the Faculty of Fine Arts up at UVic. And uh, I've been in Victoria since the early 90s. I jumped over here 92-ish from Vancouver, where actually I used to work in theater. So uh, it was that great moment when I got the gig as being a theater critic. They said, well, do you have any, do you know anything about theater? It's like, "Mm, actually, you know what, I do. So it was a pretty (laughs) great combination of writing background and theater background. Um, But that, that, that makes it clear why why we're doing this podcast. Uh, We're all uh, journalists. We're all still actively engaged with the arts in the city. And uh, I would think it's fair to say that we're all fairly concerned with the level of arts coverage and the amount of arts coverage that's going on in the city these days. We saw a need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like what are some of the recent examples? Well... Check our list. Check our list. <laughs> so let's talk about the Times Colonist first. Uh, since the fall, I would say, we've seen the retirement of Adrian Chamberlain, their lead arts writer. Uh, Robert Amos, the visual arts writer, long time, long time visual arts writer, uh, Robert Amos, has uh, been released from the paper as well. Uh, Michael Reed, uh, the uh, film and uh, arts columnist there, or arts mm-hmm. writer there, has left the paper as well. He retired. Uh, Sarah, you left uh, the Times Columnist too? Yeah, I was doing arts two days a week when I left, two to three days a week. So. And Amy, like, she got hired as an arts yes, reporter right. initially, right? Amy Smart yeah. also, yeah, part of the layoffs, got uh, did, covered the arts. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think when I left it was just Mike Devlin. Yeah. So now it's down from, down a, the fort. Yeah. from a large team with dedicated arts coverage down to one person there. Yeah. Uh, Adrian is now back doing, uh, it looks like, occasional columns, weekly yeah. columns for them. Um, and basi- also, basically so- it was one standalone section in the week, Thursdays, and yeah. very you know preview-based, which is great, but bigger shows and not able to cover a lot of different, you know, all the arts, theater, you know, some places that, you know, lost out a bit might have been dance or visual arts so yeah focus magazine is still very much uh, they have a good focus on the arts still but they have now shifted to a bi-monthly format so there's less coverage and more advance notices needed for that and they've cut their calendar listings from the print edition so that makes it harder for smaller arts organizations who might not get those feature stories uh, to get the word out about their events that are happening yeah, and, uh, you know, our old stomping grounds, Monday Magazine, has been a monthly for quite some time. And, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, we both have feelings about our, our time there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was sad to see that uh, focus change from, uh, from every week and being more focused on, and we were talking about this earlier, the issue-based stuff. Like, instead of just a lighter preview-based fare, it was 
we, you know, having an opportunity to really like talk about what's happening right now in, in the arts in the city and mm. not just about what's coming through town. Because there's a lot of artists here. This is a huge cultural city. It's an incubator. It is an arts-loving city. So, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a void. Yeah. The, I don't think the level of or quality of arts in the city has declined, but I would say the level of and perhaps the quality of the reportage on that art scene has declined. Uh, even CBC Radio still covers the arts, um, but they're, you know, they're limited in what they can do, and they're limited in their availability to go out and be on the scene, which I think used to be one of the strengths of Monday Magazine, is that it was a weekly, and we could be on the scene. We could go and do something one week, like be at an event one week and write about it the following week. We could follow an issue uh, week to week to week as it unfolds, which you can't do in a monthly or a bi-monthly format. That's mm-hmm. just hard to do. Yeah, for sure. And as someone who uh, who works at CBC occasionally, it's yeah, it's difficult to get out there and really, you know, cover things. And you've only got a couple hours a day, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I I feel like, and we I know we've all been hearing it from people in the community too. Like there's puts a, more pressure on yeah. the organizations themselves mm-hmm. to do their own publicity outreach, and you know, which you can do to create buzz for an event, but you can't do that response, that critical response mm-hmm. or the issues-based stuff you, just, you well, can't do that and i yourself. think that's that's one of the problems that you know and people say oh you know what are you doing about it well we're going to do a podcast about it but why are we doing a podcast because it's <laughs> frankly it's cheaper and easier to do a podcast than it is to present uh, a print publication mm-hmm. like we we're not getting paid for this so we can't afford to go out and create a new magazine new newspaper print that and distribute it and find outlets for that you know that's just beyond our realm as working people and mm-hmm. you know we're all parents as well mm-hmm. so our time is limited but we want to see it change so that's why we're sitting around this table right. and doing this so we're gonna what, what we're gonna kind of develop like divide it up into a few sections yeah here. yeah so i think the the standard format as we go forward we'll see how it works but i think the idea is we're going to do you know loosely sort of a, a 10 minute chit chat about what's going on in the city uh, we'll probably break it down and do 10 minutes on what we've seen and then probably 10 minutes on what's coming up as well mm-hmm. cool Let's get started. What do we want to talk about first? I think just timing-wise, because it's still going on, let's talk about the Spark Festival. Yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. we've all run into each other there, I think. Seen different things, yeah. 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 So by background, uh, the the Spark Festival is the Belfry's annual spring uh, festival of not necessarily new works, but touring productions, the kind of work that we don't necessarily see in Victoria that much. We'll see some things at UNO Festival as well, some of the same kind of talent. Um, and it seems like a lot of the things that sparked this year are solo shows. Yeah, um, that's true. And yeah. uh, it's all Canadian theatre, though. And it's all Canadian. Yeah, that, right. a, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, uh, Sarah and I went to see True Crime together, mm-hmm. and then I saw the Daniel McIver show a few days later. And it's funny, they're, like, you know, solo... Well, not totally solo shows. Monologue-based yeah. shows. Yeah. And actually, a review I read of True Crime after compared it directly to Who Killed Spalding oh, Gray. Oh, interesting. Not... Uh, from Spark, but from a Toronto performance. Mm-hmm. Well, and thematically, even though they're quite different, Who Killed Spalling Gray is loosely based on uh, Daniel McIver's, shall we say, metaphysical interactions with the late <laughs> Spalding Gray, who was a monologist, but he's presenting the play very much in a Spalding Gray fashion, mm-hmm. sitting at a table, interacting with the audience, uh, interwoven uh, narratives. It was very much a, a Spalding Gray experience for me. Uh, and Torquil Campbell's show, with the backup of the musician, that added a whole another level to it. But given that he's the lead singer of Stars, I thought that was a, mm-hmm, an apt mm-hmm. one. But they're both playing with the idea of 
presenting stories to the audience and the audience being complicit in those stories, why we want to hear these stories, how much we're willing to believe these stories as well. Did we all see True Crime? We did. Yeah, so let's all talk three about of us. That yeah. because, so True Crime by Torkel Campbell and... Um, Julian Brown. Julian Brown and... Who was the co-creator? The co-creator is Chris Abraham, and Julian Brown was the musician who was playing with him. So, yeah, Torkel Campbell, singer of the stars, indie popular, indie Canadian band from, I don't know, 10 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say they're at still... Their they're still, they're still popular. Were they just in town, like, but at their height, ago? Yeah. Their height, yeah. You know, yeah. Let's, let's be honest here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good band. So, what did you guys think of it? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, he's, like, having followed his career, I'm a big fan of Stars. Uh, you know, when he was a commentator on Q for mm-hmm. several years, he's just got this, like, personality, this per- mm-hmm. I don't like how... And it, the play kind of delves into that, what's real and what isn't, mm-hmm. and how much of that is a persona and how much of that is what he's like. And uh, Yeah, so I, I quite enjoyed it. It was... Um, and then there's, you know, it's very... It seems personal, right? Because he's talking about his... Uh, relationship with this famous con man who is in jail right now for being charged with uh, or convicted of murdering someone that crossed his path many years ago and uh, you know and he kind of weaves this story and uh, you know you yeah it's about like how much of this do you believe and uh, I quite yeah I really quite enjoyed it Uh, although you you do by the end you're you're almost like a little angry you know I don't know I felt yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't love it. Oh, really? And part of the reason is, is so he sings a bit. He does some songs throughout it. And, um, and I just, it seemed like when he was singing and his songwriting was like that star level. Mm-hmm. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit otherworldly and beautiful. And then he, when he switched into the theater side, it really seemed mismatched to me, like almost like a sort of a okay fringe play. Hmm. Um, kind of thing so it was that bit of a mismatch and I did think the twist was a little bit hokey mm-hmm. I didn't I, I enjoyed it but I didn't love it and I often you know I love supporting the arts but when you're like hovering around 40 bucks a ticket you're like I kind of want to love it mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know that's just me yeah. but I really enjoyed it I, I enjoyed it because I was expecting something more like uh, when Hoxie Workman came through a couple of years ago to uh, the Sparkfest with The God That Comes, I was expecting more of that sort of rock star experience. I didn't know Torquil Campbell had a theater background. He talked about how he was an actor for like a number of years. I didn't realize who his, his dad was. Yeah, 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 and his dad being a well-known actor as well. And uh, So I was very much surprised by how accomplished he was on stage and how he was able to uh, very fluidly adopt multiple characters and keep the narrative woven together. I did find the music kind of an odd match. You know, I either wanted more music or less music because mm-hmm. it seemed like some of it was kind of sandwiched in there. And I was really enjoying his performance, and I found uh, his performance of the other characters equally compelling mm-hmm. as well. Um, the twist, it surprised me, the twist, and I did like the bit at the end where you were left not knowing what the truth was, right? Because it is called true crime. Mm-hmm. But what is true and what was the crime? Was the crime against the audience? Was the crime the character's crime in the story? I went home and Googled the shit out of that Did play. you really? I didn't go. Oh. It's funny because I went in and I was like, I'm not going to read about this at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. go. Yeah. But as soon as I went home, I was like, okay, I got to figure out what what is going on here. So it was kind of, you know, as someone who spent a lot of time reviewing theater, 
it was fun to just go in blind and have that experience, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. And I think with Don- Daniel McIver's uh, Who Killed Spalding Gray, similar, you know, quite often at these festivals, you're just seeing shows, and it's like, oh, I see why they chose this show. It's a really strong show, or it's doing something different with theater than we've seen in the other shows. These This year, it seems like, I don't know if this is true, if I'm just reading into it, but it seems like uh, the Belfry's artistic director, Michael Shimada, is, uh, has gone for more of a, a thematic narrative mm. going through it all, mm. because Who Killed Daniel, or Who Killed Spalding Gray is similar narratively to what's happening in True Crime, and sort of the ideas behind the show resonate on the same level. And then Mouthpiece, I found, was also one where the audience was not merely just witnessing the performance, but you really felt engaged with and, uh, you know, perhaps a sense of responsibility for what was happening on mm-hmm. stage as well. Mm. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the series is like. Yeah, I didn't see Mouthpiece. It was, it was a, I'll say right up front, it was, I found it a challenging piece of theater because it was very physical theater, a lot of vocalizations, a lot of uh, almost disharmonic vocalizations. Mm-hmm. I found parts of it uncomfortable to watch, which I think was the point. As a guy, as a white 50-something male, I am not the target audience for this show. Perhaps I should be, because it was all about the, the experience of being a woman, uh, both internally yeah. and externally, the pressures that exist on you. Uh, the conceit of the show is that the, the lead character, her mother has died, and she has to uh, prepare for the funeral, uh, pick a dress for her mother, pick a coffin for her mother, prepare the eulogy, get the flowers and all that kind of thing. But it's a twinned character, so two, the two uh, different actors are playing the same character, often speaking at the same time, the same facial uh, gestures, the uh, same um, physical gestures as well, and then other times they would split apart and play either different characters or the same character at slightly different times. It was a very fascinating piece. Mm-hmm. It was an hour long. And I don't know if I could have watched more than an hour. Mm-hmm. Of it. And that one sold out, like that. just like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was in the studio, right? It was in the but studio. But still, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting what shows resonate with audiences, and yeah, the audiences. When we went, there was a uh, Amanda and I were there on the same night, and there was a concert after with Torkel Campbell and uh, Julian, and it was pretty cool. But it was a quiet crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. It was neat to have that. And I went to some of the mini... Oh, I tried to go to some of the mini plays this <laughs> it's week as well. always a crap shoot, yeah. Yeah, so the mini plays, the three short plays that are part of the Spark and have been for a number of years now. Uh, there were three, and we got there at 20 to 7. The mini plays started at 7 o'clock, two shows, 7 and 7.15. And at 20 to 7, uh, all but one of them were already... All the tickets were taken. Uh, wow. One Charlie Ross's, one man Star Wars trilogy guy, uh, he could take 10 people per show. Uh, Lindsay Delaron, the Indigenous Artist in Residence for the City of Victoria, she could only take three people per show. And then the one I saw uh, was by a local company called Nickel Nickel Pumpernickel, and they could take, I think it was eight, and we got in on that show. Mm. Uh, But they're very popular shows this year, and I think the mini plays are really taking off as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, And it really adds to the festival atmosphere. I've always loved them, like the different spaces they use. And uh, And it did have a festival feel. Like I went to the family dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My daughter and her other two-year-old friends were there, and it was wild. Mm -hmm. Like it was (laughs) insane Mm -hmm. in the Valfrey Theater, you know, entrance area. There was Abram McHaggerty and his band were rocking up a storm, and they're playing this wild fiddle music. And then all these kids start yelling, wheels on the bus, wheels on the bus. <laughs> and they're like, okay, wheels on the bus. So he plays wheels on the bus, and they had all these balloons come down, you know, from the ceiling, and the kids were like, mayhem. And then Fernwood Square is so amazing. You go outside, 
and there's some dude DJing with his 1970s rec room setup of like a <laughs> turntable and he's playing funk records and it was like you know there's people of all ages dancing it just has such a great feel and vibe to it and it wasn't just about arts yeah. it was about community and i, really I feel like, like the reno the of the lobby has really helped with Stuff, that feeling yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the in the belfry all right mm-hmm. let's yeah. let's move on yeah, yeah so what else have people seen well, you were at the Dance Victoria? Yeah, yeah. I went to, how do you say it, Atomos, Atomos, uh, Danceway McGregor, a great modern ballet company. Um, it was it was interesting because there was a lot of sort of hype for this one. There's a big technology sort of um, combination to it with the modern dance, which I was excited about, the idea of biometrics, and there was 3D glasses and... Uh, but it, to be honest, the technology detracted from it because as the danger with technology, it didn't kind of work. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the 3D was on these um, television screens that came down and at some points they didn't quite work. And so there's like, you see the like LG symbol mm-hmm. flashing and you're just like, oh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the dancers had these interesting outfits on that were like, they were sort of non-gender, um, almost looked like Olympic-style unitards and stuff. Um, and it had almost a retro feel rather than a modern technology feel. But um, that said, the dancing was unbelievable. Just incredibly beautiful choreography. Um, Dance Victoria, you really can't go wrong with the show. Their programming is so tight. like they, And you could see it. It was the night where... You, their season's tickets holders were supposed to renew. So on every seat that was the season's tickets holder, there was envelopes. Mm. And the theater was covered in envelopes. Mm. Like, what a testament to their audience. Mm. I was really impressed, and people were enthusiastic. The age range, the you know diversity of the crowd was so evident, and I just thought that was really heartening because modern dance, they don't get a lot of press. Like, they really do it themselves, and of course, people who love dance who dance themselves will be involved mm. but yeah and they, it was yeah it was a great they have a great they've built some great community as well yeah so. i feel like they are doing a really good job of engaging that young exactly. but not like super young like they have their night moves program which is awesome mm. i think it's for anyone under 40 and uh, you get a really great deal on tickets. They do all this extra programming on top of it. And I've talked to uh, Stephen White uh, from Dance Victoria about it before, and they're really focusing on building that age group as you know the the people who are going to stick with it for Dance Victoria for the rest of their exactly. lives, mm-hmm. which is super smart. And uh, yeah, I uh, well, they have good initiatives like the idea of the Pay Your Age initiative. Mm-hmm. That's a great yeah. idea for getting younger people into the theater. And the establishment of the Dance Victoria Center on Quadra Street yep. was great yeah. as well. Because Community that, days, dance yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like they, yeah, they really are building their audience, um, taking risks, mm-hmm. and it's appreciated. And mm-hmm. they bring great stuff here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Great, great. I went to the, uh, talk about things that don't get a lot of press, uh, performance art. So I went <laughs> to see Castles, uh, the Canadian-born but now uh, American-based uh, transgender performance artist who was in town last week, and I honestly, I felt very fortunate to have had the experience of seeing this performance. Castles does not perform in Canada very often, uh, and the places they do perform uh, tends to be like L.A. and, you know, not, mm-hmm. certainly not Victoria. Mm-hmm. So to have the ability to see the show was great. The show itself was incredibly compelling and incredibly uh, daring and, and a new way of engaging an audience. It was performed totally in the black, 
Uh, the only light in the entire performance was from a photographer's strobe flash going off and the artist entered in the darkness and left in the darkness and then the performance itself was uh, engaging with a 2,000 pound plinth of clay, like hard uh, potter's clay and uh, transforming it through physically beating it and punching it and grabbing it and molding it and shaping it uh, in the dark with this light going off and into the final uh, expression of the sculpture which was just this mangled mass of clay and I poked this clay and it was really hard clay <laughs> so for somebody to do that uh, physically to transform it in less than half an hour was astounding but watching this piece of performance where the flash would go off and you'd get uh, the image of a body uh, burned onto your retina and it would be this ghostly image hanging there and then they would shift again somewhere else in the room and the flash would go off and suddenly they'd be 10 feet over on the other side. Sometimes they'd be in midair, sometimes they'd be perched on top of the clay like, uh, like a gargoyle. And sometimes it was just pitch black and you could just hear the artist walking around the circle of you know, probably 120 people just breathing and, and you could really, it was a very eerie experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, Where was it? It was up at UVic in the Visual Arts Building. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, were scheduled to do uh, an artist talk at Open Space as well, which was switched at the last minute to the Legacy Art Gallery. And mm -hmm. it was a co-presentation between uh, the Legacy Art Gallery, uh, the Visual Arts Department at UVic, Commotion's Visual Arts Department, and, uh, and Open Space as well. Um, but I really, I did feel quite fortunate. And the buzz in the room was great. Uh, the number of artists from the city who were there, as well as students, as well as a lot of, uh, a few other performance artists in the city as well. It was the kind of buzz that you would expect at a much bigger urban venue than Victoria. I was so pumped about this show and it totally paid off for me. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, uh, I missed that one, but it sounded like it was, yeah, pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. You were at Comic-Con yesterday? I was at Comic-Con, yeah. so that's on the lighter side of the art scene. But uh, talk about community engagement. Like, the best part of Comic-Con, I enjoyed Comic-Con because I'm a geek and have long my entire life of being a geek. And I really wanted to see James Marsters from uh, Spike from Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, because I've long been a Buffy fan. But the best part of it for me was uh, watching what people came as, like the amount of time and energy people put into their costumes. And then watching all these people walk around and engage with the crowd and with each other. And, you know, cosplay is fun because you can strike a pose and try and figure out who everybody is. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, those are the Teen Titans. Oh, that's somebody from Dragon Ball Z. And, you know, trying to figure out who everybody is and how much work they put into it. But the buzz was very good from both the uh, presenters, uh, the celebrity guests were talking about what a well-organized convention it was as well. For the first time, this, this one has happened. They were very impressed. I talked to uh, a number of local artists up there, people like Gareth Godin, uh, and he was very impressed with it as well. The vendors seemed very pleased. So it seemed like, on the whole, it was a very good event. Uh, my only criticism would be better food. Uh, the food was expensive and it's it was very poor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. the coffee. But that's the, that was the limitations of the conference center. You had to use their catering system. And it just, you know, for, for, for events when you're used to like having a food truck mm -hmm. area. I was just going to say food truck. Yeah, that would, yeah, yeah. That would be a comic There's not a lot around there like no. that you could really go. There's the food truck festival that happens behind the museum. I say festival, but the food trucks that are set up behind the museum. Um, but that was just, you know, far enough away that people yeah. weren't willing mm -hmm. to take that 
extra step. I think they could have set up those food trucks in the old, uh, decrepit, defunct uh, Greyhound bus, station yeah, right next station. to the venue and used that. And that would have really brought it up one more notch. But uh, that's, you know, that's my sole criticism. So is this going to happen again? Or? I hope so. And I think it's all going to come down to the numbers, like how many people were attending and uh, value-wise if it's worth doing again. So. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah, we've been busy, I guess. Um, did Have you we, seen anything? Uh, just the spark just shows. The spark shows. Like yeah. a two-year-old, and it's just. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I'll throw in there that I also saw, I recently saw um, the Pendulum Night. Uh, Lindsay yeah. Delaron, the city and Victoria's Indigenous Arts and Residents, organized a night of uh, contemporary and traditional Indigenous practice at the Belfry. Uh, it was two nights and a matinee, and from what I hear, all of them were pretty much sold out. Mm -hmm. uh, very successful event and a very powerful thing to see. The combination of uh, traditional songs and dances, some that uh, people generally don't get to experience uh, outside of a longhouse, uh, was very powerful. And then the contemporary works as well, I found, were very moving and very well presented as well, and a very receptive house to see this as well. So. Yeah, I was really happy to hear uh, that they were renewing Lindsay's uh, uh, contract as the Indigenous Artists in Residence, because uh, it's funny, um, you know, sort of on that topic, uh, open space, uh, we'll talk a bit about the open space uh, comings and goings, but uh, about a year ago, I did a, a piece for CBC on, you know, Indigenous arts and practice and, engage, and you know, uh, integrating that into into arts in the city. And uh, at that time, Lindsay had just recently been appointed uh, as the Indigenous Artist-in-Residence, and they, the city had said, no, this is a one-time thing for our year of reconciliation. And uh, France Trepanier at Open Space had been doing her job there for a couple of years, and it looked like that was going to be an ongoing permanent thing. And now how things have changed, you know, now yeah. Lindsay is staying on with the city a little bit longer, and France had offered her resignation at Open Space due to, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, how she felt that she, uh, things were going there. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting how quickly things have changed yeah. and uh the the whole board of open space stepped down and an interim board was uh was elected uh, you know she had a lot of i think pretty valid concerns she wrote an open letter there was a huge boycott call that i think open space really felt like i'd heard that they were getting you know threats of funding being taken away mm -hmm. you know so what was the issue uh, she said that she felt like uh there wasn't proper representation uh in terms of their search for their executive director, she felt like she brought some issues up. They were not being listened to or considered by the board or the folks who worked there. Uh, I think she said there was, what, like 20 people who were shortlisted for the executive new executive director job. Not a single one was an Indigenous person or a person of colour. Uh, and she also said that they were uh, wanting to change the title of her position and take the word Indigenous or Aboriginal out of it, and she objected to that and the due diligence kind of wasn't done yeah in line with what the, they had kind of proclaimed yes to, yes i think that's be more what diverse it. we're going to be more accessible but that actually takes like steps and yeah. work and it's my understanding that removing that title as well was going to impact their funding yeah you know which which was also a valid concern of hers mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean i haven't spoke to to france and I, i've only read her letter and the subsequent letter from the new interim board of directors mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was just elected mm -hmm. at a special meeting uh, mm -hmm. but a week ago 
Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where well, that goes. It's interesting because on you know on the nuts and bolts of it, they're not related issues, mm-hmm. but in a way they are because you, you know Lindsay was brought in on a year long thing. This is our year of reconciliation, you know. But as the city of Victoria has found out and said very openly, reconciliation is not a one year hmm. process, yeah. and it is a commitment, and. You know, there's that level to to Lindsay's work, but also she's doing incredible stuff. Yeah, and a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff, and they did Mm -hmm. extend um, their artist-in-residence, Luke Ramsey, Mm -hmm. who's been doing amazing work, amazing murals. What Lindsay offers is something even a little bit different because it's so experiential. It's about learning. It's performance art that involves the community. They're just so different, and they complement each other. But I think there is that piece that reconciliation is not like here's step one, two, three. Mm-hmm. It is relationship building, and it's a longer commitment and than one year or one position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, apparently there was some concern. I wasn't at uh, the city council meeting, so I can't speak firsthand, but apparently there was some concern from some members of the city council that there wasn't, uh, shall we say, uh, any sort of legacy projects coming out of uh, Lindsay's work. You know, unlike Luke Ramsey, who's been doing murals and works all around the city and is literally changing the face of the city. And like you can physical. look at the wall. Yeah, physical but, but that's, art is about more than that. Which though. is what she like, said. Like her, her, she was saying the impact of her pieces are the people who experience and the change that happens in their heart and in their soul. You come away feeling change. You come away feeling uh, that you've experienced something that changes your perspective of the world around you. And I think that's just as valid and yeah. just as important, um, but perhaps harder for a city council concerned with budgets and legacy to wrap their heads around. Yeah, them. yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I remember uh, France once said to me, she's like, you know, we're, we talk a lot about truth and reconciliation. She's like, we're not through the truth part yet. We've still got to do mm-hmm. a lot of that. And I feel like that's what a lot of a lot of Lindsay's work talks mm-hmm. about but hers her work's still it's so it's quite inclusive like mm-hmm. she's inviting all kinds of people to participate mm-hmm. in it and yeah. I just and different types of encouraging different types of art like yeah. she's been doing dance and all different mediums as well and different artists in town so and we had talked a bit we we're envisioning this podcast of when we you know talk about these issues we want to bring artists from those communities in to talk to us maybe people like Lindsay I don't mm-hmm. know if she'd be willing sure. quite busy but, you know, yeah, well, otherwise it's just three white people sitting around. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You can't pay yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. 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 We can't pay you, but maybe we can make cookies or something. Yeah. But I don't think these issues are going away. Like no. uh, Open Space Castles uh, pulled their performance from Open Space specifically because of this issue. Um, didn't want to be speaking in a place that was not uh, fully committed to diversity and inclusivity. Uh, the University of Victoria's uh, writing department recently pulled their long-running mm-hmm. open word yeah. uh, series out of Open Space until this was resolved as well. So I think the impact there is being felt, but it's not going to be a quick solution. Uh, France has an exhibit coming up at the Legacy Gallery sometime in the near future, I believe. Uh, Lindsay is going to continue to do work in the city as well, and uh, perhaps we can get one of the people from the new interim board uh, to come down and talk to us about open spaces. Yeah, well. I would like to, you know, sit, actually have sit down, have some conversations mm-hmm. with folks because yeah, this is an ongoing issue. It's it's not going to go away, and uh, yeah, we're going to keep we're going to keep seeing it manifesting in different yeah. ways for sure. As you know, because it's one thing to say you're. Uh, you know, for diversity and representation, but it's it's a, a lot more challenging to. It's got to yeah. be part of your process. Mm-hmm. It can't. It's not a you know a tick on a box. It's not a you know press release. It's yeah. It's got to be part of the process, and that can be awkward, and that can challenge 
the way you do things. It can mean reaching out to groups where maybe you're an established gallery or producer or you know, promoter and people reach out to you and that's the way you do things. They come to you. Maybe you got to go to those communities. Yeah. You know, certainly we're seeing it in more organizations. UNOFest coming up has, uh, you know, I think at least one, if not more, Indigenous shows happening. Uh, the Belfry is part of Spark, uh, mm-hmm. has a show coming up next week, Cafe Daughter. Yeah, that looks great. As well. yeah. So, you know, people are programming for that. And I don't want to go so, so far as to say we're seeing a renaissance of Indigenous culture, but we're certainly seeing a lot more of it than we used to and a lot more different forms and styles. Yeah, let's just hope well. that it's not just what is cool right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that. not like a year of reconciliation. And then it's like we're on to commitment. the next thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that uh, is a constant concern, certainly in the world of theater, is the idea of casting for shows. You know, um, I'm a big fan of colorblind casting when you go to a show and it doesn't matter what uh, race anybody is in any of the roles they play. Uh, a good example of that, I thought, was I just saw the Phoenix's new show, uh, Comedy of Errors, which focused on two sets of twins, and the lead twins were both different races. Like, one was a white guy, and one was somebody who was obviously of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't really matter. You know, the only th- the thing that I didn't get that they were supposed to be the same person was that one was about four inches shorter than the other. But, <laughs> but that was it. You know, same costume and same everything. So you really got the idea right away that they were supposed to be twins. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're stepping into the theater and you're suspending disbelief. That's the thing, right? Yes. Like to start with, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know, you know, and I mean, Shakespeare is a good example of this because he was writing this stuff four or five hundred years ago. Well, what is it? Four? Yeah, let's say four hundred twenty-five years ago. If we want to get really specific on it, uh, and he probably wasn't that concerned with issues of diversity, but uh, certainly presenters today need to be mm-hmm. because the acting base and the arts base is very diverse, certainly in Canada, mm-hmm. and it should be. So yeah, what else is coming up? What are we going to be seeing in the next few weeks? Yeah, what is coming up? Um, I, uh, the Theater Scam uh, Performing Arts Fundraiser. It's happening right now. I'm sad right that we're now, missing yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's the... Kids do... Pl- no, adults do plays by kids. Right, yeah, right. That looks great. So. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah, so obviously none of us are going to see it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Spark is finishing off. They've got a couple shows left. They're doing Cafe Daughter and Tomorrow's Child, which uh, or Tomorrow's Children, uh, which is I'm really looking forward to because it's based on a Ray Bradbury short story. Mm. And uh, it sounds like it's a fascinating presentation. You're blindfolded, placed in a chair, and then the show happens with you totally blindfolded. Did anyone see uh, Paper Street Theater's Bradbury, Improvised Ray Bradbury? No, I wish I had. Mm-hmm. That would have been neat to see those two shows like mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. close to each other. But anyway. Paper Street Theater, though, let me just throw this out there. One of the things that, talking about Comic-Con, uh, they had an out-of-town improv company that was part of the, the presentation. I would have loved to see Paper Th- Street Theater there. Because, yeah. um, you know, the, the improv that I saw there was fine. It was not any necessarily any better than what Paper Street does, and Paper Street has long been rooted in pop culture as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think particularly uh, the Comic Con would have been a, a good place for them. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, coming up this weekend, Kent Monkman. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah, talk about Indigenous artists. Yeah. Does anyone remember his show? It was probably about ten years ago at the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria. Uh, and he did uh, these, they were these, uh, uh, like a lot of the work he still does, like these kind of tr- traditional looking, you know, like 
Renaissance looking paintings with these beautiful gilded yeah. old frames War on them with, yeah, yeah, he would have his uh, mischief uh, persona painted in there somewhere. And he mm-hmm. was here. It was, it was probably about a decade ago now <laughs> uh, and had a show at the AGGB and I just fell in love with his work then. So I'm really excited that he's coming back. Was that next week? Next week. Yeah. 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 Uh, testament to him as an artist and the demand for hearing him as well as he's up at uh, the Farquhar Auditorium. At yeah. We're not talking about a small venue there. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about what, like a 1200 seater. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty great. He's part of the, one of the keynote speakers for the Moving Trans History Forward conference, yeah. Yeah. which mm-hmm. I saw some of last year and was very good as well. It was yeah. kind of like a meet and greet and then there's yeah. the, the event. So, yeah, I think that'll be really cool. Uno festivals Uno in festival May, and coming up in May. Yeah. Uh, the Belfry's got the rest of their season coming up. Salt Baby, uh, another Indigenous show. Salt Baby's coming up there. Uh, Langham's got a couple more shows in their mm. season, I think. Yeah, I'm, I haven't been to Langham in a while. I'll have to. Yeah, I was, I was there for Urinetown. I really enjoyed Urinetown. That's such oh, a great yeah. show. Um, it was a great show, and it was a great show to see mounted again in town because it'd been I th- over a decade. Oh since yeah, the it was like there. when I started at Monday when yeah. Urinetown. I remember you were so excited about it because you it was like one of your favorite musicals, was, and yeah. you were just so stoked. Yeah. I would be yeah, it would have been neat to see it on like because on it, a small it, stage. Well, I mean, it felt know? like the Belfry stage for that show felt small, yeah. so I can't even imagine. Langham does a great job of like, putting huge always. shows on the their mm-hmm. tiny little. Stage. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When they did Drowsy Chaperone there before, I couldn't believe how many people they got on that yeah. stage and how well they worked. Yeah, with that, no, so. they do such a great job mm. on that. I'm going to all like literary events coming up. Mm. Friday is the Martlet's uh, anniversary. Oh, Martlet newspaper, 70th, 70th anniversary. anniversary yeah. Former Martletteer. Oh, great. Arts editor and news editor. The early 2000s. <laughs> so many journals have come out of the, yeah. the Martlet. Yeah, you know, yeah, Andrew McLeod, who covers the ledge. Oh, it's Andrew? Okay, I didn't know that. He was former marketeer. Alisa yeah. Gordonier, former editor I think the Martin. new uh, Manisha at CBC, the new afternoon show producer, she mentioned oh, that she had she had written for the Martlet before. Oh, so. yeah. Well, at the Times yeah. Colonist, there's a lot of us. Yeah. Um, Cleve Dainshaw, oh. Michael Reed. Oh, oh. Um, I don't know. Mike Devlin was at Camosun. Brina Howell. Yeah, we did the Camosun. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Pope, ex of Monday Magazine yeah, as Danielle well. Pope. She was Martlet. Um, Tom Hawthorne, I want to say, but I don't know if that's true. No, he was UBC. He was yeah. UBC. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, there's oh. quite a few. And then the other one, couple other events, um, another former colleague, Rob Shaw and Richard Zussman, are launching their book. Oh, about that's Behind right. the scenes of the big... You know, the BC Liberal NDP uh, election uh, shakeup. So they've got a book coming out. Actually, I think it's out, and their event is on uh, late March. Mm-hmm. So that should be good. Should be good. That was why we suddenly lost Richard Sisman from being on the air. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the sort of behind the scenes kerfuffle over that, which was somewhat unwarranted, I thought, given the number of other CBC reporters over the years who have written books while on the job. Yeah, there's something kind of odd about that. And yeah. it was a real loss. I mean, I think, you know, MP, MLAs from all different walks were saying, you know, we need this guy. He's great. Like, he's really good and a mm-hmm. uh, good reporter, great tweeter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great tweeter. <laughs> that's great that that's a I category like now. <laughs> Matt, imagine, like, I, I think even, like, the when I started at Monday, how different things are, you know, like... Oh, yeah, Twitter being didn't a exist. reporter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. No, no, it's true. I mean, I remember having a conversation with you saying, should Monday have a Facebook page? Yeah. You know, like, and that totally. you were sort of the cutting edge of social media because you actually knew what Twitter was. And <laughs> you actually knew about this thing oh, called how, Facebook. how things have changed. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I saw the post, you know, the big uh, Oscar film. Oh, yes. 
the Washington Post and with a friend, a reporter friend, and she, we were laughing because they would go, oh, we've got to get the story, and, you know, let's call them, and they'd go to this rotary phone, and they'd be like, <laughs> Sure. So was it you or painful. someone else who said it was, like, a real, uh, it really highlighted why we don't need newspapers anymore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the thing Which is, is, is like, hard. this whole movie was based on getting this incredible information out to the public that mm. was so important, and I was just thinking the whole time, could have just had the internet. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> blog, Facebook comment. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a sad state. And we do need journalism and newspapers, yeah, of, yeah, course, of course, for other, yeah. for, you know, many important reasons. But in terms of that, how are you going to disperse this information? It's so easy now. It's, I mean, look at us. We're sitting in a room chatting away. Yeah. And we're just going to press you know, upload. Yeah. And that's it. You know, it's out there. The same issues though, uh, I think, and this is one of the things that I keep hearing from people over and over again in the city, certainly when it comes to arts and culture in the city, is how do you find your information? Those uh, unified sources that used to be there, aren't they not there so much anymore? People always used to pick up Monday Magazine every week, not necessarily for the story, but just to get a sense of what's going on in the city that Mm -hmm. week. Everybody looked at the calendar. They all got a sense of what was happening. Now it's very diversified. There's so many websites. Everybody's got online calendar listings. It's beholden to the the organizations to upload the information themselves. Uh, If they forget to do it, their event just doesn't get seen. Uh, There's so many different places to look at that. I know the city of Victoria is looking to change that with their website, their Arts Victoria website, and they've been doing a lot of work over the last little while to bring it up to speed. Uh, That would be somebody else I think would be interesting to get us to talk to in the near future, Mm -hmm. somebody there, and find out what's going on with their efforts. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, I think they're getting close to finishing their arts and culture planning uh, process Mm -hmm. that they, uh, because I remember talking to someone about it just before I went on mat leave. So that was a couple of years ago now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. really depends on the community you're in. Like, mm-hmm. I find out about a lot of events through Facebook, seeing what other people are going to. And then I'll click interested if mm-hmm. I'm interested right. in it. So it depends on your demographic, your friends, your access to technology, what you use, you know. Yeah, And how engaged you are with it because Facebook was changing their algorithm. Every time they change their algorithm, it changes your reach as an arts yeah. organization and it changes your reach as people. Like if I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm not passionate and, you know, I'm not on it every hour. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm probably on it maybe every day, maybe every two days, you know? So the the number of events that I hear about have diminished because Mm. of my interaction with other people Mm -hmm. on Facebook. So I I tend to see things on Twitter, right? And I, you know, certainly something like the YYJ Arts feed on Twitter I use quite a bit. Uh, but not everybody posts to that. Yeah. You know, so again, mm-hmm. it comes back to where are you seeing the information? Yeah. How are you finding Who's out Who's your things? group? Your Who's crew? your group? And how do you find out about new stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you find out about, I wouldn't know what club shows to go to. Because yeah. I don't go to club shows yeah. anymore. I'm just not... Well, I think yeah. this is the thing with the new arts organizations in town, uh, groups like Vida Buono, uh, Impulse Theatre, you know, they're, they're new, they're on the scene, they're taking those places that uh, Theatre Scam 10, 15, 20 years ago would have had as the scrappy new company, now Scam is more of an established company, uh, they're trying to build an audience. How do they get the word out to the greater arts community, you know? I sense a theme for an upcoming show. Yeah. How do you get, yeah, how do you get how thumbs do you get and seeds? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this yeah. is fun. And yeah, so we're going to try and do this every couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, hopefully at least one other person listens to it. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so check the program. Check the program. Check That's right. the program. Oh.